Good morning, everyone. I invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 33. It is a, it's a tremendous privilege to gather together as a church family around the Word of God because God sanctifies and transforms His people through His Word. And so we, 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 we don't want this, this time together in God's Word to be, to be clinical or to merely be a giant information dump. That's not, that's not the point. The point is to stimulate our hearts and minds so that we would individually and together meditate on the transforming Word of God. So I want to go ahead and read Genesis chapter 33, the whole chapter. Holy Scripture says, And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants, and he put the servants with their children in front, then Leah with her children, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. He himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. And when Esau lifted up his eyes and saw the women and children, he said, Who are these with you? Jacob said, The children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the servants drew near, they and their children, and bowed down. Leah likewise and her children drew near and bowed down. And last, Joseph and Rachel drew near, and they bowed down. Esau said, what do you mean by all this company that I met? Jacob answered, to find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. Jacob said, no, please, if I have found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand. For I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. Please accept my blessing that is brought to you, because God has dealt graciously with me, and because I have enough. Thus he urged him, and he took it. Then Esau said, Let us journey on our way, and I will go ahead of you. But Jacob said to him, My Lord knows that the children are frail, and that the nursing flocks and herds are a care to me. If they are driven hard for one day, all the flocks will die. Let my Lord pass on ahead of his servant, and I will lead on slowly." at the pace of the livestock that are ahead of me, and at the pace of the children, until I come to my Lord in Seir. So Esau said, Let me leave with you some of the people who are with me. But he said, What need is there? Let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. So Esau returned that day on his way to Seir. But Jacob journeyed to Succoth, and built himself a house, and made booths for his livestock, Therefore, the name of the place is called Succoth. And Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, on his way from Padanaram, 
and he camped before the city. And from the sons of Hamor, Shechem's father, he bought, uh, he bought for a hundred pieces of money the piece of land on which he had pitched his tent. There he erected an altar and called it El Elohe Israel. This is the word of God, and it is for our good. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving us this anchor, your holy word, your faithful promises, your perfect ways that we might know you and that we might walk with you all the days of our lives. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be at work in our hearts and our minds, directing them to you and strengthening us in our walk with you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. The title of this sermon is God's Grace Must Change You Too. And I want to begin by asking you if the grace of God is revolutionizing your life. If, if, if the favor of God and the blessing of God is shaping the way that you live and the way that you relate to other people and the way that you handle your possessions. We were, we were made for fellowship with God and to live our lives out of the fullness of fellowship with Him. But of course, sin has corrupted everything. As the children's gospel catechism says, sin makes us guilty and dirty in God's sight and keeps us from knowing God. And so, so we have this problem where as image bearers of God, we're disconnected from and estranged from the God whose image we bear. But when, 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 when God shows up in our lives with his powerful and redeeming grace, he, be, he, go, he goes to work on us and begins to restore and transform our hearts and our lives. The Apostle Paul in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he, he shares a bit of his testimony and he calls attention to the fact that prior to God's grace showing up in his life, he was an enemy of God and he was an enemy of God's people, but then, but then he testifies to the fact that, that, that the Savior's grace showed up in his life and that the grace that he received, he did not receive it in vain, but that the grace of God that was with him transformed him. And in, in 2 Corinthians, he, he tells us that though he was once an enemy of God and an enemy of the church, he had become a faithful servant of the living God who gladly spent and was gladly willing to be spent for the sake of God's people. Total transformation by the grace of God. Is, 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 is God's grace chipping away at the sinful and selfish ways in your life so that you are learning to be a faithful servant of the living God. G Genesis chapter 33 invites us to consider that question and to be stirred up to pursue God in our everyday lives. As we, as we walk through this chapter, remember the context 
Uh, if, if, if you've been here the last few weeks, you'll, you'll probably remember the context very well. But just remember that, uh, you know, Jacob had stolen Esau's blessing 20 years earlier, and he left town because his enraged brother Esau wanted to kill him. So, so Jacob got out of town and moved 500 miles away to Haran, where he spent the next 20 years with his, with his uncle-turned-father-in-law uh, Laban. And, uh, and, and very recently, the Lord had told him to return to the land of Canaan. And often, the path of obedience to the Lord, the path of obedience, takes us through very difficult obstacles and trials that we have to face along the way. And for Jacob, Jacob returning to the land of Canaan meant being reunited with the brother whom he had so grievously offended and who was enraged at him. What's going to happen? Was Esau going to come against him in hostility? We know from chapter, from chapter 32, verse 7, that Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed at the prospect of meeting a hostile and vengeful brother. Of course, as we looked at last week, the Lord went before Jacob and, 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 and initiated this this profound encounter that Jacob had wrestling with, with God and, and, and being very transformed and blessed by the presence of the Lord, and that prepared Jacob to meet Esau. And so, uh, really, just hours before Jacob had concluded his interaction with God in chapter 32, and now the, the, the sun has risen, and, uh, and Jacob lifts up his eyes, at the beginning of chapter 33, and there is Esau. As we, as we look at verses 1 to 7, I want you to consider this, this lesson, that God transforms his people into lowly servants who honor others. This, this call from the New Testament is very clear, that we're called to honor everyone, in fact. And in, in Romans chapter 12 tells us to outdo one another in showing honor. In Philippians 2 tells us to consider others as more important than ourselves, to learn to, to die to ourselves and put others ahead of ourselves. And so, so Jacob lifts up his eyes and as the sun is shining down on this new day, having met with God the night before, he sees Esau and his, Esau's 400 men coming toward him. And they're about to meet. And so Jacob organizes his, his, his children according to their mothers with the, the, the maidservants, his, basically his concubines in front followed by Leah and her children, and then, and then Rachel and her children at the rear. And Jacob is out in front of his family walking toward Esau. And he's not just walking toward Esau, he's bowing down. This, 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 act, of, this act of humility, this act of honor, uh, this, this act of obeisance before his brother Esau. It's really interesting to me, by the way, this, this picture that we get of Jacob and Esau here. Do you remember what we learned about Jacob and Esau in that summary statement back in chapter 25, verse 27? We were told that Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field. And we were told that Jacob was a complete man, complete is a 
accurate translation of the word that is sometimes in our Bible translated quiet, but Jacob was a complete man dwelling in tents. Now just think about that summary statement from chapter 25 and the, the scene here. Esau, skillful hunter, man of the field with his small army of 400 men. And Jacob, the complete man with his vulnerable family, 12 children, 11 sons and one daughter between the ages of 6 to 13. Jacob, the complete man with his family, bowing down before Esau seven times. Seven in scripture typically points to completeness. The complete man bows the complete number of times before his brother Esau. It's a beautiful and striking picture that is in some way characteristic of their lives. And it it, it may seem really odd to you or me that Jacob is the one bowing down before Esau, and Jacob refers to himself as Esau's servant, and Jacob refers to Esau as his Lord as we we go through this passage. That may seem odd because of the covenant promises that Jacob was going to be Lord over his brothers, and Esau would be subservient to Jacob. But what you have to remember is... to greatness, true greatness, that path always runs through humility and lowly servanthood. So, 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 ja- so Jacob is, is preparing to meet his brother, and perhaps unexpectedly, Esau is running toward Jacob. Esau runs to meet Jacob, verse 4, and embraces him and falls on his neck and kisses him, and they weep together. Alienated brothers, reconciled, and and, and, and a grieved brother, and a fearful brother, reunited in profound tears that wash away the pain of offense and separation for two Decades. When I when I when I read verse four, it reminds me of the parable of the prodigal son, and the 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 the, the younger prodigal son. He returns home, and it's the father who, who who runs to meet and embrace his returning son, while the older brother is is cold shouldered and distant and judgmental towards his younger brother. But but here it's the older brother Esau who is overjoyed at being reunited with his brother Jacob. The the hostility is gone. The vengeance is gone. And all that remains is compassion and favor from Esau to Jacob. Now, to be honest with you, we, we don't know much about Esau. Okay, this passage is not mainly about Esau. He's an important part of the story, but this whole stretch of chapters isn't really about him. It's really about Jacob. And so it's really difficult to say much about how, how it came about that Esau uh, was able to walk away from the bitterness and the, and the hate and the malice toward Jacob and how he came to have a forgiving spirit toward his, the brother who had offended him. We, we just don't know. There's a lot of information gaps there. Uh, the Bible doesn't tell us. 
All we can say for sure is that God saw to it that Jacob found favor in the sight of his brother. And after, after, this, after this beautiful reunion in verse 4, of course Esau inquires about who, 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 are all these, who are all these people with him, and Jacob testifies to the grace of God and having given him all these children. And then the servants and their children, and then Leah and her children, and then Rachel and her one son Joseph, one after another, come before Esau and do the very thing that Jacob did, which is to bow down and to honor Jacob's brother Esau. So it's a beautiful picture of people learning to be lowly servants who honor others. As we, as we move to, to uh, verses 8 through 11, consider this lesson, that God transforms his people into generous givers who bless others. Verses 8 through 11 are, are, are just absolutely uh, beautiful, and there's a lot, of, a lot for us to learn from. But after, after inquiring about who the, who the children were, the next thing that Esau inquires about is... What was the meaning of that large procession of gifts that Jacob had marched in front of him to Esau? Do you remember from chapter 32? Jacob prepared that large gift of 580 animals separated into five different droves, and they went ahead of Jacob. They went into the presence of Esau before Jacob did, and Jacob intended this large gift to appease his brother and to make Esau favorable to him. And that's what Esau is inquiring about. What do you mean by all this company that I met? The servants and all of these animals. And, and Jacob answers honestly to find favor in the sight of my Lord. That was the purpose for the animals. But, but what becomes evident here is that the, this large gift was unnecessary for securing Esau's favor. Esau was favorable to Jacob because Esau was favorable to Jacob. It wasn't because of the large gift that Jacob had attempted to give him or that Jacob was offering him. And so Esau, Esau said, I have enough. More literally, I have much. I have much, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. And then there's this, there's this beautiful pivot that takes place where Jacob was going to give this gift in order to win Esau's favor. Now he realizes that he already has Esau's favor, and he has an open invitation to take that large gift back into his own coffers. But he doesn't do it. Now, out of a, out of a, out of a spirit of, of grace and gratitude and love and honor toward his brother, he, he insists that Esau take the gift anyway. And we're gonna, I'm going to come back to this because there is so much beauty in terms of the transformed life that comes out in verses 8 through 11 that I'm going to come back to it and, 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 and give you more detail. But I want to move on uh, next to verses 12 uh, through, seven, 12 through uh, 17 where we learn this lesson that God transforms his people into faithful servants who take good care of their own household. This is really interesting because, you know, Jacob and Esau have this beautiful reunion 
But at the end of the day, Esau has to live his life. And Jacob has to live his life. Esau lives in the land of Seir. Jacob has been summoned by the living God back to the land of Canaan. Uh, Esau suggests that they journey together. But aside from the fact that Jacob has a different destination in mind, uh, Jacob knows that it's impractical. Uh, Esau and his 400 men are unencumbered men, and they can move accordingly. Jacob has responsibilities, right? He calls attention to the fact that in his company he has frail children, verse 13. And then he has the nursing flocks and herds that are a care to him. And, and, and notice, remember what Jacob has already said about these things. These frail children are a gracious gift from God, verse 5. And these nursing flocks and herds that, that, that are a care to him, they also are an expression of God having dealt graciously with him. Verse, verse 11. And J, J, Jacob does not resent God's good but demanding gifts, but he, he, re, he receives them, he respects them, and he fully intends to take care of them. And so he, 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 he's resolved to, he's going to go at the pace of the livestock, he's going to go at the pace of the children. And as we see later in verse 17, uh, Jacob ends up going to Succoth which means Booth, took the name from the fact that Jacob built booths for his livestock in that place. And Jacob evidently, prior to reaching the land of Canaan, had to settle down temporarily in Succoth. We don't know exactly why, maybe to just provide a much-needed rest for his family, his young children, and for his, his livestock. But Jacob is proving to be a faithful man who is taking good care of his household. A after he, he declines uh, Esau's offer to travel together and tells him that in due course he'll come to the land of Seir. Now, I'm not sure if Jacob really ever intended to make it to the land of Seir. That certainly was not his, in his final destination. Whether he expected to meander there or visit there sometime, I do not know. But after, after refusing Esau's offer of traveling together, Esau offered to give Jacob some of his men to travel with him, maybe provide some additional support and security. And Jacob says, no, verse 16, what need is there? No need for that. Jacob is content to have found favor in Esau's sight, to be reconciled and on good terms with his brother. And Jacob uh, even wants to find favor in his sight in this matter, that Esau would respect Jacob's own travel plans and let him go the way that he must go. And so the brothers separate Esau going to the land of Seir, Jacob to the land of Succoth, eventually en route to the land of Canaan. God transforms his people. I'll, I'll get to verses 18 through 20 a little bit later on, but I really want to camp out in verses 8 through 11, and re really verses, verses 3 through 11, because it, it testifies through multiple facets, it testifies to the fact that God had been transforming Jacob's life these last 20 years. And then in that wrestling encounter from the previous night, that also was very transformative in Jacob's life. So just, just, just think about these things. 
more than 20 years ago, Jacob had lorded it over his brother in the matter of the birthright. And he had been opportunistic and took advantage of his weak and vulnerable brother in order to buy his brother's birthright. Esau shouldn't have sold it, but Jacob shouldn't have bought it in the manner that he did. And yet, now what do you see? The whole, the whole, the whole script is flipped with Jacob coming to his brother Esau now as a humble servant who intends to honor and bless his brother. Also, just, just, just think about this. 20 years earlier, right after Jacob had deceived his father in order to get his brother's blessing, Jacob had gone to Haran to his uncle Laban. Jacob had, had gone there as a deceiver who had just deceived his father in order to enrich himself at his brother's expense. And so, in the wonderful providence of God, God appointed a fellow swindler uh, for Jacob in the form of his uncle Laban. And over the course of those 20 years, Laban proved to be a deceiver, a swindler, uh, and a dishonest very selfish toward Jacob. And, and, and the sad thing is, is that Laban knew that he had been blessed and enriched by God through Jacob. Laban knew that. It didn't soften his heart. It didn't make him grateful. It didn't, it didn't, it didn't cause him to have, a, to have a, a large and warm heart toward his nephew and son-in-law Jacob. Instead, Laban just wanted to hoard as much as he possibly could for himself. So just do a little thought experiment. Suppose Laban was the one who rounded up 580 of his animals in order to give a gift to Esau in order to save his own skin. And then Esau came to him and said, no need, no need Uncle Laban, you can, you can have your 580 animals back. Well, we, it doesn't take much imagination to know that the way Laban was wired he would have, in a heartbeat, taken all of those possessions back for himself. But you see, Jacob had gone to his uncle Laban as a deceiver, but he didn't leave that way. He didn't leave as a selfish taker. He left as a beneficiary of God's grace who was learning to be a conduit of blessing to others. And so, so, so Jacob doesn't take the bait to get all of that 580, 580 animals back into his, own, into his own bank account, basically. Instead, he wants Esau to have it anyway. So, so something profound has taken place in Jacob's life. He's learning to be a servant and a giver toward others. Going back 20 years and beyond earlier, Jacob saw Esau as basically an owner of valuable possessions that he could seize for his own enrichment. But do you, do, you see what, do you see what's happened here? Now, through this remarkable reunion with Esau, he's actually able to see Esau as an image bearer of God. In fact, he goes so far as to say in verse 
10 that he, he discerns in Esau a likeness to the face of God. And of course, you can't disconnect that statement from the uh, interaction that Jacob had had with the Lord the night before when he saw God face to face. There, he says in, in chapter 32, verse 30. So Jacob had just seen God face to face. He saw God's gracious face, his favorable countenance, his loving look upon him. And now, as he interacts with Esau, and he's receiving compassion and favor and grace from Esau, Jacob makes the connection. He he is, in this particular moment, Esau, as an image bearer of God, is reflecting that image very well in the attitudes of grace and forgiveness toward Jacob. If Jacob was able to see the rough sketch of the divine face in his physical brother, Esau, how much more should we be able to see the rough sketch of the face of God, the character of Christ, the grace of our Lord in our, bro- in our spiritual brothers and sisters in Christ? If you want to blow through the superficiality and triteness of our secular world, you might consider saying to a brother or sister sometime, brother, seeing you is like getting a little glimpse of the face of God. Seeing you is like getting a little taste of the character of Christ. In action. And I'm encouraging you along those lines, not because of the potentially beneficial impact a statement like that might have on the person you say it to. I think it would be very encouraging. But, th- but, that, but that isn't, that's not my point right now. My point is what kind of person would you be and have become to say something like that where you're no longer seeing people in terms of how they size up around your own little selfish agenda. But now you're seeing people as they really are, as image bearers of God who sometimes do indeed bear that image very well. Don't be afraid to call attention to it. There is more here in verses 8 through 11 that, that, that comes out of the richness of Jacob's interaction with God at the end of chapter 32. Notice in chapter 32, at the end of verse 29, it says, and there he blessed him. There God blessed Jacob. And then go down to chapter 33, verse 11. Please accept my blessing that is brought to you. There's an important connection there to understand. Have you ever heard of the concept that we are blessed in order to be a blessing? God God blesses us in order that we might become a blessing to others. This is a very biblical concept. We see it right here in chapters 32 and 33. God told Abraham back in chapter 12, I will bless you 
and I will make you a blessing, and every family of the earth shall be blessed in you. In Psalm 67, the prayer, the, the, the prayer goes up that, that God would be gracious to us and bless us and look kindly upon us. Why? So that his saving power might be known among the nations. Going back many years, Jacob was not a giver of blessing. He was a taker of blessing. He, he, would, he wanted to take from Esau. But something had happened. He had learned to rest in the grace of God. Even in his prayer in chapter 32, he's testifying to his experience of the steadfast love and the faithfulness of God. And even here in his conversation with Esau, he's testifying to God's gracious dealings with him and God graciously giving him these children. And now Jacob is more securely anchored in the blessing and grace and steadfast love and favor of God. And so now he can come to Esau, instead of being a taker, he can be a generous and glad-hearted giver. When you take hold of God to receive blessing from him, and that frees you to stand in the, riches, in the richness of that grace and to be an open-handed giver and blesser of the people around you. Also, uh, one, one final thing that I want to point out from verses 8 to 11, look at the end of verse 11. It says, thus he urged him, and he took it. I, I, I love this also because of a connection back to chapter 32, where when God changed Jacob's name to Israel, in verse 28 of chapter 32, God explains that name change this way, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Jacob had a track record of prevailing with men, and here by God's grace, he had prevailed upon God and, and obtained the blessing that he sought. But do you see what's happening here in chapter 33, verse 11? Jacob prevails upon Esau, but he does not prevail upon Esau for his own benefit. He prevails upon Esau for Esau's benefit, that he would take the blessing that he wanted to give him. J J this, this, this honor and this blessing and this generosity and this kindness that is coming forth from Jacob is rooted in his secure relationship with the living God. It's interesting, I, I, don't, I don't like the fact that the English Standard Version that I'm reading from has flattened out these statements Esau said in verse 9, I have enough, my brother. And Jacob uh, says in verse 11, because I have enough. I don't like the fact that the ESV flattened those out. Esau said, I have much, is a more literal rendering. But do you know what Jacob said? He didn't say I have enough, and he didn't say I have much. He said, I have everything. <laughs> That's what he said. Please accept my blessing that is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me and because I have everything. 
What is that? It's a man who discovered the grace of God and not to be fooled by outward appearances. Oh yeah, Esau has his 400 men and plenty of wealth. But Jacob has everything. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I have everything I need. Moreover, Jacob has the covenant blessing, all of it. The blessing of God is upon him. It's transformed his life. Now, check this out. This is really exciting. First part of verse 18. And Jacob came safely to the city of Chechem, which is in the land of Canaan. That reminds me. By the way, that, that word safely could be translated peacefully. It's the word shalem, which is similar to the word shalom, peace, wholeness, safety. That is a fulfillment of what had transpired between God and Jacob 20 years earlier at Bethel. In chapter 28, verse 15, God promised Jacob, behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. And Jacob interpreted coming back to this land as including coming back to his father's house. Look at what Jacob says as part of his vow in verse 20 and 21 of chapter 28. If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace. Shalom. So Genesis 33 verse 18 is cluing us into the fact God has been faithful to bring Jacob back in peace to his father's house, at least partially, through Esau, Esau being a son of his father and part of his father's household. God has been faithful to bring Jacob back to his father's house and to the land of Canaan, in verse 18, in peace. But, this is what's so important. God didn't just fulfill his promise to Jacob by bringing Jacob physically back to his father's house and to the land of Canaan in an outward peace. No, no, no. That's never God's way. God's way is to fulfill his promise to you in such a way that you are transformed in the process. You are transformed in the wilderness years. You are transformed in the in-between years. Jacob must be transformed before he returns to the land of Canaan. But the, the younger generation of Israelites wandering in the wilderness must be transformed before they enter into the land of Canaan. A future generation of Israelites in exile must be transformed before they return to the land of promise. And ultimately, all of God's people are in these wilderness years where God has, has set before us a heavenly Canaan, the new Jerusalem and the new heaven and the new earth and his desire for our lives is not simply to get us there physically, but it is to transform us every step of the way. Is the grace of God powerfully transforming your life, your walk with God, the way you relate to possessions, the way that you treat other people. Jacob testified to the fact that God had dealt graciously with him. Now us New Testament believers, we have all the more reason to be transformed because we have 
receive that much more in the way of God's gracious dealings, having sent his son for us and for our salvation. Jesus says to us, love one another in the same way that I have loved you. He loved us sacrificially as a servant. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And as we are reconciled to God through the ransom of Christ on the cross, we get in line after Jesus, the servant of the Lord, and we learn to humbly serve and give and bless. It says in Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. Are you receiving from the Lord in such a way that it is changing the way, impacting the way that you relate to one another? Well, the Lord not only transforms his people into lowly servants, the Lord transforms his people not only into generous servants, the Lord transforms his people not only into faithful servants, but the Lord also transforms his people into grateful worshipers. Our final consideration as we come to verses 18 to 20, into grateful worshipers who are learning to trust the Lord at all times and who punctuate our lives with concrete acts of worship. Verse 18, Jacob is back in the land of Canaan. Verse 19, he purchases property in the land of Canaan. In verse 20, he erects an altar and called it El Elohi Israel, an act of worship. El Elohe Israel means God is the God of Israel. Notice how, in terms of the way this chapter is put together, going back to chapter 32, notice how Jacob's relationship with God frames his interactions with Esau. Our relationship with the Lord is meant to frame and shape our relationship with other people. And so, at the end of chapter 32, that was God's powerful interaction with Jacob, and he renamed Jacob Israel. Now, long after his interactions with Esau, Jacob is finally in the promised land, and there he is, worshiping the Lord. And it's not only that his, his worship of the Lord frames his interactions with Esau, but really we, we're seeing a God-centeredness to Jacob all along the way. God's angels meet him at the beginning of chapter 32. In, in, in chapter 32, verses 9 to 12, Jacob prays to the Lord. At the end of 32, he wrestles with God. In chapter 33, he's testifying of God's grace. Anchored in God's grace, and he's testifying to that reality to his brother Esau. And now, here, as the chapter concludes, he's worshiping the living God. It's interesting. The book of Hebrews summarizes sacrifices that are pleasing to the Lord, and it mentions two. Number one, praise, Pray, the sacrifice of praise. Acknowledging the name of God. That's 
a sacrifice that is pleasing in the sight of God. And, and, and the, other, the other sacrifice that Hebrews 13 mentions is the sacrifice of doing good and sharing what you have. Do you see that here? Jacob is doing good and sharing what he has, and he's acknowledging, praising, calling upon the name of the Lord. Jacob, a complete man, a faithful example for us to follow. And don't miss this. Just a handful of days earlier when Jacob was interacting with Laban, that might seem like a long time ago. It wasn't. It was just several days ago in terms of the text. How did Jacob refer to God? In chapter 31, verse 42, he refers to God as the God of my father. Chapter 31, verse 42, he, refer, he refers to God as the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac. And then just one day ago, how did he refer to God in his prayer? In chapter 32, verse 9, he addressed God as, O God of my father, Abraham, and God of my father, Isaac. But now, back in the promised land, Having experienced the faithful hand of God these 20 years, what does he say? Well, he erected an altar and called it El Elohe Israel. God is the God of Israel. But who is Israel? Jacob is. Jacob is subtly but clearly communicating to us that the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac is his God. Is he your God? God is the God of all who call upon him in truth. God is the God of all those whom he graciously transforms. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would take this word and not let it be an idle word, not let it be a forgotten word, I pray that you would utilize this word to transform our lives, to lead us faithfully on in our walk with you, to transform our lives in the in-between years, to make us a little bit more like Jesus every day. In his name we pray, amen.